right, we are going live in five, in four, three, two, one. Yo, 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 tell me what you know. Welcome to the Sunshine Show. Woo! Ah, tonight, I have a very, we are going live woo, very, very, very special guest for you guys. I have the one, the only, the most fabulous, the most phenomenal Kelly Scott of failure in the house. What's up, Kelly Scott? Wow, that was a pretty stellar introduction. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for hanging out with us tonight. I've been looking forward to this episode and I'm so stoked to talk to you. So thank you again. I really appreciate your time. I'm very happy to be here. Cool. So where are you located, Kelly? I am in beautiful Los Angeles, California. Oh. Ooh, yeah. Very cool. I'm in Santa Cruz, so not too far Seriously. from you. Like what, eight hours? Uh, yeah, about that. Yeah, unless I mean, if you drive fast, you might be able to make it in seven. <laughs> My son is actually graduating from Otis College of Art in LA next oh. month. Um, very proud of him. That's pretty incredible. So that should be prestigious. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Okay, guys, so what's up, Jay? I see all you guys out there. If you have any questions, any comments for Kelly, please drop them in the chat and we will get to them. It's gonna be a really, really fun time tonight. I'm super stoked. So for people that may not know who you are or the bands or the people that you've played with, could you give us a little bit of an introduction? Um, so let me see. So I moved here from Orlando, Florida in 1987 and uh made my first record about a year later with a band called liquid jesus oh liquid jesus uh, and played in a bunch of other bands for a while in like the early 90s joined failure in 1993 um and of course uh we you know did a lot of touring i think most people in the 90s maybe saw us with tool uh we did a lot of touring with tool um and then in 95 we made a record called Fantastic Planet, which is probably our most known record um, up to that time. And we did a lot of like smaller tours by ourselves. Uh, one of the last Lollapaloozas before that stopped. And then we broke up shortly afterwards. Okay. Um, in the interim, I uh, played in a bunch of bands. I mean, you know, it's a list way longer than my arm. Um, did a lot of session work. I was Linda Perry's session drummer for about six years. That's so Monday through Friday, we basically recorded hits for like Christina Aguilara, James Blonde, Pink, um, you know, and that's also kind of a big list of um, enchanted sessions as well. I was super fortunate. Wow. Oh my God. Talk about the name dropper here tonight. No. <laughs> Dude, like, well, I mean, a lot of people might not know, like some people know who Linda Perry is from her success with Four Non Blondes, but a lot of people don't know that like her real success, she's written massive, massive hits like over the last 20 years for basically a who's who. So how did you like get linked up with Linda? Um, I met her, I was really good friends with her bass player, uh, Paul Ill. Okay. 
Um, and Paul and I were really close and he kind of started bringing me by the studio. She has like a really kind of tight knit group. Mm -hmm. um, he started bringing me by the studio and I started to hang out with her and get to know her. And more importantly, she got to know me. Um, and she literally called me up one day and asked me if I could uh, um, drum tech for a record that she was recording. Wow. Um, which was kind of weird and it was out of left field, but I said yes. And I showed up and I, I worked for like the next week and a half teching this record because she has a massive like 200 piece drum collection. What? Yeah, it's huge. It's gigantic vintage drum, like her guitar collection. Her collection of instruments is like second to none. So does she uh, have like a huge museum for all these instruments called a studio? Yeah, but they all get played. I mean, that's the thing. Like sometimes you'll go through like almost every drum on the wall for a song um, before you find the right sound for that song. It was it was a pretty amazing uh, work experience for sure. Wow. Um, but she, she hired me to work on that record. Um, and when the record was wrapping up, she basically was like, hey, what are you doing like next Tuesday? I was like, I don't know, what am I doing? She's like, well, I'm starting some songs for Christina's new record. You want to play on it? Um, so that's, you know, it like literally, it was just like, bam. When something like that happens, do you even have to like think about it? Like, no, no, definitely not. Yeah. Oh, I'll, I'll, let me talk to my agent. I'll get back yeah. to you. Well, and, and more, more importantly, like the environment was so... Like there are no clocks on the walls. There are no business people allowed. Like it's all music 24 hours a day. You know, it's a very select like four or five guys that play on all of the records. Um, I mean, it, it was the, the perfect environment, the perfect wow. environment. And it, it was, I mean, it was so much work um, that just me becoming better as a musician was like on a daily basis, like breaking through new walls and, you know, just personal boundaries um, yeah. being knocked down like left and right. It was, it was by far like one of my greatest musical experiences. So how long did that last? Um, it was about six years. Wow. And yeah, it was roughly about six years. Um, and then the business changed a little bit and people weren't doing like full production demos anymore. Um, so she really, I mean, it, it wasn't really in her best business interest to keep like five guys, five guys employed every day of the week, sure. you know, eating three meals a day. And, um, so she kind of, uh, started pulling back on some of that. Some of the work was like less available. Um, uh, and then I just started taking paying live touring gigs with people. Wow. Uh, I think I did that for probably another couple of years before failure got back together. Oh my God. Um, wow. Like you just sound like, I already know, like you have a huge history before we even start talking about the Linda Perry thing. So it's just like so much to wrap my like mind around all this amazing, like musical experience that you come with. Well, I mean, you know, it's just, I, I refused to do anything else. You know, I've been out here since, like I said, 1987. So I've got 30 plus years of experience. As long as you go out and put yourself out there, I mean, inevitably you're going to wind up, you know, playing with some really talented people. 
So when um, and you have to hold up your end of the bargain. Like you have to continue to get better as a musician and, you know, people want, have to want to play with you in the first place, you know? So it was a lot of hard work. I mean, I was thinking about it earlier. It's like, if you were to split my career into thirds, I've actually only gotten paid and made a living for about a third of my entire career. That's you know, the first 20 years was just kind of like do whatever it takes to get by. You got to just like keep working, keep doing it, keep doing it until you can like do it for a living, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, don't give up. Yeah. I love I, that. I think it's, you know, the, the main thing I certainly got out of it is I just wouldn't give up. Yeah. And I know your story is incredible. Um, let's jump in this chat really quick so we can tell, say, tell everybody okay. hello. Okay. Uh, let's see, we got my mom here. What's up, mom? Um, you and my mom are actually friends on Facebook, too, and I just love that so much. Um, we got Jay Speak Lane. We got Jacob McDaniel. He says, you're fucking legend, bro. I have to agree. Uh, let's see. Let's see. So Linda Perry is one of the biggest writers in pop history. She sold millions of records. Is this yeah. true? Yes, very true. Wow, that's crazy. What's but, up? But her main achievement are there are hundreds of thousands of songs just sitting in a vault somewhere that are absolutely mind-blowing. So does she just sit around and write songs? And like Seven days a week, we were like, she was writing them and we were recording them. Seven days a week. Like an artist comes in and, you know, she gives up like six, seven, sometimes eight songs and they might take one of them. They might take all seven of them. They might take none of them. Yeah. You know, that's what I mean. It's kind of like a crapshoot. Like you don't win every time. Um, like I remember we did a bunch of stuff for Adam Lambert and a lot of his business people thought the record we were doing, like it was very like kind of Queen and Elton John and like really pretty risky and artistic. Um, and his crew were just like, eh, we don't really think it's a good idea for you to go down that avenue. Um, and I think the record he did wind up putting out was like kind of like more of what was going on. There was a lot of like ravey type stuff, pop elements and a lot of fours on the floor and a completely different record. But it's kind of like that. She writes all these songs and, you know, she never really knows whether people, for whatever reason, are going to use them or not. Yeah. And then maybe if one artist doesn't use it, maybe you can, like, sell it to another artist, right? Exactly. Exactly. In theory. Perfect In world. Theory. That's how In theory. Wow, that is so cool. Uh, we got Alan NBA in the house. What's up, Alan? We got Amelia Tice. Okay, Amy, so I was talking to Kelly before we went live, and I was telling him that we went to see Failure for my birthday, and I think it was 2015. Do you remember who opened up for Failure? Where was it? And was it three pieces or four pieces on that stage? We need to know these answers. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Failure is an incredible band. I think so, too, Jay. I'm glad that we agree. Uh, we got Megan Richardson. We got the whole fam bam here. Thank you guys for hanging out. I appreciate and love you all. Thank you to everybody who's listening at home on the podcast. I couldn't do it without you guys. Um, 
Oh, so Amy says we were in Houston at the House of Blues. Oh, oh the Disney World House of Blues. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. That was a good night. I remember oh. a lot of visuals on stage. Yes. Yeah. Does uh, she remember whether there were three or four of us? Amy, was there three or four in the band? We need to know. Because, yeah, that, that would have been on the, the Heart is a Monster tour. Okay. Um, and like I said earlier, we brought Troy. Troy played with the band in the 90s. Um, you know, Troy from Queens of the Stone Age and Perfect Circle. Nice. Um, he came out with us, um, I think, probably at the tail end of touring on that record. Very cool. So Amy says she also saw Failure at Emo's in Austin. Yes, that's the show I thought you were talking about. That was a really good show. <laughs> I think that was with Queen Kwong, maybe. Oh my God, how fun. Like, I'm like, yeah. all my memories, but I'm getting very nostalgic right now, Kelly. Yeah. Were you living in Texas or were you just down there visiting? I'm actually from Austin, or um, I'm actually from Texas, and I lived in Austin for a couple of years before I moved up to California. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, those are my old stomping grounds. Um, Austin's yeah. a good city. Oh, I love Austin so much. Yeah. It's such a nice culture there. Um, so when did you know music was what you wanted to do? Um, probably when I was 12. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I had definitely, music was, even before I actually got my first instrument, which was like probably the beginning, I, I was 11, not quite 12 yet. Uh, my parents bought me a uh, drum set. Um, but before that, um, like going probably back to like five, six, I had a little like eight track player and my older brother had given me all of his Kiss eight tracks. And I would come home from school and would totally like, you know, close all the curtains and grab a tennis racket and rock out to all the Chris rec Kiss records and just have this whole like, you know, drama play live rock show thing. Um, you know, and it, it was, um, I don't know if I consciously knew it, but it definitely was like this really awesome, like child sort of world that I would go into that at the time was like everything. I mean, it was the greatest place on earth. Um, and then of course I started playing uh, and I would do the same thing, but I would come home and actually play the drums. Um, and I think it was probably somewhere around seventh or eighth grade that I had decided that I was going to move to Los Angeles and play music. Really? You know, at the time, my parents were pretty supportive at the idea of me playing music because it kept me out of trouble. And in return for them sort of uh, uh, patriating my, you know, drum heads and drumsticks and broken cymbals, I got good grades in school. So it was a kind of a trade-off. Um, but yeah, I mean, I decided pretty young that that was what I really wanted to do. Why? Like, okay, I okay, I know why the drums, right? Because the drums are the coolest instrument ever, because I always wanted to play the drums. Well, I started off playing guitar. Oh, okay. But with the KISS concerts, at the end of like KISS Alive 2 or KISS Alive 1, they smash all of their guitars. 
So I smashed the five family pack of tennis rackets um, and then moved on to and broke a hockey stick. Um, and just by default, I started playing Lincoln Logs and Pots and Pans. You remember Lincoln Logs? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and Pots and Pans. And, you know, then, you know, hip hop was around in like the 80s. And, you know, I was like break dancing with my piece of carpet and playing drums on my desk at school, you know, and that kind of evolved into the, the thing that I guess became more of my identity and started to really resonate with me. Um, but yeah, I mean, had I had gotten a guitar when I was younger, instead of smashing all my tennis rackets and moving to banging on things, perhaps I would be a guitar player. Um, so it was just kind of a gradual transition from tennis racket to drums. Yeah, you know, well, it was kind of like I said, like you come home from school, it's like, you know, like, what am I going to get together so I can, you know, put on this performance? Um, so, you know, it wasn't even like a thought thing. It was just like, just slowly slipped from one fake instrument into the next. And, you know, there we have it. Wow. So what album do you feel like you played to the most when you were learning your drums? Oh, um, Oh, I mean, that that's hard to know. I played a lot of Iron Maiden, um, but I also played a lot of ACDC. Like the first guitar player I ever played with, he and I knew the whole ACDC catalog. So when we'd get together at his house or my house, we would just play ACDC songs. Okay. Um, but then we would gradually like move into Ozzy and Motley Crue and Rat. And, you know, then we were getting older and we were in school and they were having talent shows and you know, we were playing at skating rinks and, you know, it kind of, because we were in Florida, Florida is kind of a semi-professional place to begin with, especially at that time, there weren't a lot of places where you could play original music. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the plan was always to go somewhere else. And I, I definitely more identified with like the West Coast rock scene in the 80s. Okay. Okay. So how old were you when you finally got to LA? I know you said this earlier, but 17, 17, you were yeah, so I, young. I, yeah. I, I moved here a week out of high school. I graduated June 12th and wound up here on June 18th. So how did you make it happen? You know, I mean, I, I don't know. I just stayed visible held out my hand and said, hello, my name's Kelly to a lot of people. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. Wow. And so did your parents move with you to LA or no, did you move no. by yourself? No, I, I came out here with, um, we, two bands moved out here together. One of the bands was part of a band and our band was part of a band. Um, and we would, if the other band was playing a gig, they would use one of our guys. And if we were playing a gig, we were using one of their guys. And eventually their band fizzled out and most of them went back home. Um, so we kept the one guy and sort of kept that band going for maybe like the first year and a half or so that I was here. Okay. Um, and then during that band, I wound up joining, we were doing a lot of local shows 
and the guys in Liquid Jesus saw me play. Um, and we lived in the same building and we kind of got closer and became friends and stuff. And they inevitably asked me to come play drums with them. I love this um, story. Well, and I wanted to continue to play drums in both bands. Uh, but the other band kind of gave me a hard time about doing that, which kind of forced my hand and I chose to join Liquid Jesus. Okay, very cool. So one of the very first bands I was in was called Liquid Frogs. So we have the liquid. Well, and, and Frogs, Failure has a song called Frogs. Oh, there you go. It always comes yeah. around full circle. Yeah. <laughs> so I have a friend, Joseph Loney, in the chat, and he's saying that you actually worked on a song with one of my old bandmates, Jose. And I, this is just coming to my mind, and it's right. So his name is um, Jose Perez, and he's from yeah. Texas. Yeah. And so we used to be in a band together called Monkeys Doing It. Oh, funny. Small world. It's such a small world. Dude, you know what is really weird? Like, I, I had a, a, a software gig that I had been doing for like probably the last four and a half years or so. And then in January, we, uh, they laid me off. Finally, like they kept me through just about all of the pandemic and then finally just laid me off out of the clear blue. Wow. And I put out a Facebook post. I was like, oh shit, you know, cause now I've like, I've had all this medical stuff that's happened over the last year. So I need like really good insurance. I'm like, you know, the bands aren't working right now. Um, so I put out a Facebook post saying, if you have a song, send me the files and I'll put drums on it. Um, and I quite literally have done somewhere between 60 and 85 songs in the last two months. What? Yeah. Holy cow, how do two, you- Two, three days a week, I go out to a studio um, load up people's files and basically record anywhere from like, I don't know, three to five songs a day. Wow. So I'm doing like 10 on a really, really good week, 17 songs a week. And oh. I've been doing it for nine weeks now. Wow. So has this been pretty helpful sustaining? Yeah. Wow. Oh, totally. Yeah. Well, I mean, the kicker is I remember before I took the software job, I was like, all right, I'm going to make a crack at this, see if, you know, I can figure out, you know, outside band income when we're working, if I can come up with something to support myself. So I put this money into building a website and, you know, did all the pro stuff. And I like put it out there on all my social links, crickets, crick, 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 nothing. So I took the <laughs> software job and then flash forward four years, I put out one post with like a, a, you know, a small video from, you know, one of the a video I had taken during one of the failure sessions, which it's only me, like you wouldn't know that it was a failure session. Um, and it literally has been nonstop. Like I wake up every day to like one to five new submissions. That is amazing. Congratulations on that. It's, it's very humbling to say the least. That is so great. So I bet you've been listening to all kinds of music. Like, tell me, it's tell me all about over some of it. the place. Like, I, I did this one song last week from uh, this kid in Utah. This song must have had, I don't know, probably eleven different parts. Oh damn! All in completely different time signatures. A beautiful song, like really, really technical, but really just sprawling and kind of a lot to get your head around. 
Um, but then I did uh, one of the first songs I did was um, uh, this girl in Japan who's been working on this really cool like art piece um, on her uh, garage band. Okay. You know, so it can be anything from like the far left to like the far, it's, it's pretty incredible. Like it's a really, really mixed bag. Anything from like singer songwriter to like really, I just did like five extremely experimental. They sound more like a music score. Okay. Um, uh, you know, some pop stuff, some punk stuff, some metal stuff. Um, obviously like some more stuff sort of in the vein of failure. Yeah. Um, people who are, you know, fans of failure. Um, I mean, it's really like all over the place. It's, it's a pretty incredible, like the learning curve to me to just be able to, because it, it's a lot of mental work just to learn a song, but then record it and keep everything in a really quick, finite period of time without giving up quality, like knowing, knowing that you can't stop working on a song, it's not finished until you've put in the same amount of work that you have anything else in your career that you absolutely love and adore. Yeah. Um, so it's, um, it, it's incredible in the sense that I get to hold myself um, musically um, and personally to a really high standard. Yeah, I, um, I do bass tracks on some of my friends' uh, recordings and things like that. And I have a lot of people that approach me and it's very hard for me to like make the time to be able to sit down and learn all these different songs. And I still yeah. haven't found the, the secret sauce behind it of how I like organize everything and get everything, you know, yeah. going. Yeah. I, I um, the, the paperwork that I put together, like collecting the files, like I have a text sheet of like everyone's contact information, how many songs, um, whether I've sent an invoice or not sent an invoice. Then I have my Dropbox full of like batches every week. Um, I'm on the 12th batch this coming week. Wow. And I have like everyone with their own individual folders and in those folders, their songs and all their stems. Like I have it pretty, um, pretty organized. Um, and as far as learning stuff, the one thing I'm finding is the more I do it, like I'm really starting to pick up, um, like arrangements are coming to me faster and faster and faster. Um, I was finding in the beginning, I was having to spend a lot more time, you know, like in the car or while taking a shower or while cleaning the house, like having music on and constantly listening to it to learn the arrangements. Yeah. Um, but as I get further away from that first batch, I'm, I'm finding that I'm picking up and learning arrangements a lot faster. And I think that's just because I'm exercising that part of my brain, you know? It's just like working out or, you know, when you're like getting ready for tour at first, you're like really tired and sore and sluggish. And then the second day, you know, that kind of goes away a little bit and like a week into getting ready for tour, like you feel really, really ready and physically ready and mentally ready. And it's that same thing. Yeah. I'm sure you're probably using a, a piece of your brain that normally maybe wouldn't be used all the time or however it works. And the more you yeah. use it, the more, you know, it stimulates and grows and does amazing yeah. things. Yeah. For it. 
Um, so there's a little bit of an argument going on in the chat here uh -huh. with Kelly Scott. Okay. And uh, it starts with play something for us. And I go, he's a drummer. And then Luigi goes, drummers are musicians too. And I'm like, okay, you're right. It's true. True that. <laughs> true that. And and honestly, I am, I'll put this out here. I do not like playing drums. Like what? if you, if I have a drum set, like I'm not one of those people that wants to sit down and just play drums. I, I love playing drums when I'm being accompanied by, not even when I'm being accompanied by, like it's, it's the catalyst um, when I'm reacting to other musicians and music. Like yeah. that's, that really gets me off. Yeah. Um, but playing drums by themselves, like the mechanical nature, um, I, 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 I don't get lost in that. And I just don't enjoy it. It doesn't really hit that place for me. So do you play any other instruments besides air hockey stick? Um, I, I play a tiny bit of guitar. I mean, I don't play as much as I should. So like anything, if you don't practice, you know, you tend to get worse at it. Um, <laughs> a little bit of piano, you know, I can sing. Um, um, I'm, I'm really good at writing melody and writing parts and articulating them to other people. Nice. Um, um, I'm really good at arranging. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, again, like the part of it is unless I have somebody to play with, sure. like just picking it up an instrument and playing doesn't, um, I, I, I don't feel as creative as I do when I'm responding and working with another person. Yeah, I absolutely feel you. I think bands are better than solo artists every day of the week. You've heard it here first, folks. Well, and that 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 that's not a slight against the people. It's just, you know, if you have one talented person, they're one talented person powerful. If you have two talented people, they're two talented people powerful. You know, the Beatles were the Beatles yeah. because there were four extremely talented people. John was John, Paul was Paul, but the Beatles were the fucking Beatles. Yeah. Am I allowed to cuss on here? You are allowed to yeah. fucking say yeah. whatever the fuck you want to say. Okay. <laughs> um, and you know, there's something to be said about a three-piece band too, because Failure for a long time, you guys toured as a three-piece, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's just something so powerful yeah. about, about a three-piece, man. Yeah. What is it? Yeah. Um, one, there's, there's a lot of space in between each instrument and there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of pushing and there's a lot of pulling and there's just this, this tension that gets created. Like Rush has that same thing. The police had that thing. There's this undercurrent and this tension of, of just three people on the exact same wavelength just marching forward. Um, I just, I think it's extremely powerful. I think when you start to fill in that space, it's a different kind of powerful. Yeah. Um, you know, and we could talk about this all day. I mean, I don't think it's anything that I would ever truly be able to articulate. And there's a certain level of responsibility because there is so much space 
like you you really really have to be on when you're playing as a three piece yeah if exactly. anyone's out there's no recovering from it if you have a fourth member you have a little bit more you know to play with before you're completely out from the whole bunch it's, <laughs> and, and especially with a band like ours because you know we try to be pretty ambitious when we write new stuff just sort of pushing ourselves a little bit further um, and having to, we, we, we write and record at the same time. So we have to go back and learn our material. Um, and sometimes it can be pretty challenging um, because we don't take into account necessarily that we're only a three piece yeah. when we're recording things. Um, but so far, like we've managed to kind of step up and, and as a three piece avoid a lot of the, the technical trappings that, that a lot of people have to employ to sound as big as their records. Yeah. Um, uh, we, we kind of toyed around with it a little bit on the last record where we had like a few sort of like, uh, uh, I think it was like three songs off of our last record where we had um, backing tracks like noises and things like that. Mm -hmm. um and that was you know it, it it was kind of cool but up until that point we had performed everything live as a band like if there was a sound like one of us had to be playing it okay. so i employed like a lot of electronics but we don't play to clicks oh, so okay. all of those i had to be playing the correct time in order for like timed delayed parts to work correctly yeah. it was it was pretty ambitious and it was very you had to stay on point and really really focused the entire time yeah um which is a lot of pressure to surmount but at the end of the show like it's a kind of rewarding you don't just get from playing your instrument yeah i can imagine i what so what is the why no click why do you guys not want to use a click um, because then it constrains us and it takes away that thing that we feel is part of like our magic, that pushing and pulling and, you know, that live real thing, Yeah. you know, and some of our, our, our parts, you know, they, a, a verse has to kind of creep and crawl. And then when it hits the chorus, you kind of have to lean over the edge and push it a little bit. You know, so if, if you're trying to do things like that as a live moving organism, um, you know, playing with a click can, it, it makes it more challenging. It definitely makes it more challenging. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it can be done. I mean, we kind of, like I said, on our last record, we were like, well, let's entertain this thing for like, let's choose these three songs um and we'll we'll use a click and backing tracks for those three songs and i mean frankly it was awesome it was super cool um and i at the end of the day i don't know you know you kind of creep into this area of you know does the audience feel the same way about your music you know because the main objective is to take people out of their lives yeah for the hour or in our case like two and a half hours that you play so you know we we always try to like keep a balance where um are we like kind of nitpicking and sort of losing the plot of everything yeah we can be serious musicians and want to do things our way but 
playing three songs with backing tracks and a couple of noises coming out of the speakers, like, does that diminish what we're doing? Yeah. You know, and you kind of don't really know that until you put it in front of an audience and what's their response? Um, do they even know? You know, so, you know, I, I don't know. The point being is we're always willing to experiment and we're always, you know, in, in the band, we like to try to um, at least try something out before saying no. Sure, sure. Um, you know, and I, I think that goes like in between us each individually, also as band members, like if someone's got what they think is a really great drum part, like I would never say, no, I've got this in mind or, you know, we, we don't poo poo each other. Okay. Um, if you have an idea, you bring it to the table, like, you know, we, we check it out. And if it's the best idea, it's the best idea. Oh, I you know, love it's as simple that. as that. I love that. I remember, I'm glad that you brought up the stage show because I remember when I went and saw you, that was something that really stuck with me. It was, it was very visually stimulating. The music was just, it was like a whole fucking like different reality or something that you just like pulled us into this whole different world yeah. that you're saying. So like how, I mean, that's a huge important part of your stage show, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, of the, of the, the stage show is a huge important part of the concert. Like, what is well, failure without yeah. the stage I mean, you, you, you have to, you know, without getting carried away, like there's so many really cool things that you can put on a stage, um, you know, but at what point do those things become a distraction and they're just filling in the holes in your musical game? Okay. Um, you know, for us, I think it's the other way around where we really, really work hard on these records and we, we not only want them to sound exactly like they do in your bedroom when we perform them live, like our setup is like, there are no amplifiers. We have everything is, is uh, um, in Axe Effects. Okay. So our records are basically in an Axe Effects unit. Okay. So when we plug in live, it literally is like a recording studio. It's our same exact setup that we record records in. We're just putting it on a stage. Um, you know, and kind of the same thing, a lot of work also goes into, you know, how, how do we present ourselves so we're, you know, as serious about the presentation of this live record um, to an audience without, like I said, getting carried away and, you know, we don't want our show to be a distraction. We want it to, to just sort of like raise it up a level to support what we're already doing musically yeah. and to enhance it and complement it. Um, so it's usually very minimal. Like on that tour, I think we just each had LED screens behind each one of us. Yeah. So there was still a lot of open space on the floor. Oh, yeah. You know, and on, on the last tour we did, there was all of that open space was filled in with floor lighting. Um, and we had just a phenomenal uh, LD that came out with us, um, Gigi, um, who she, I mean, you should get her on here. She could do an interview with all the amazing talent that she's brought to life in a live setting for sure. Make it happen. <laughs> um, but to your point, I mean, we're just as serious about, because that can ruin everything. Like, 
you know, three guys on a stage wearing their street clothes playing good music is just three guys on a stage, you know, playing in their street clothes. You know what I mean? It's just, I think we generally feel that, you know, if we're going to like drive all the way out to the Austins and the New Yorks and the Detroits and Chicago's and Phillies, um, it should be worth, like we should put in some effort. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and, and people are, you know, people work all day long and just barely make it there for showtime or, you know, people have a myriad of things that they have to go through in order to show up at that venue. And, you know, it, I think as musicians, we owe them something that they're not going to easily forget. And I think that's what sets you guys apart from a lot of other bands, um, you know, because it's important to 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 think about those things. And you guys have thought about yeah. all the things. Yeah. And um, I just love that so fucking much. Let's talk a little bit. Okay, so we talked about Liquid Jesus. And so when did, where was your transition from Liquid Jesus? And oh, oh, you told us. So you quit Liquid Jesus to get into failure, right? Well, no, I actually quit Liquid Jesus to play with uh, a, a, a local band that was called Dumpster in LA. We were kind okay. of like, you know, the darlings around town. Um, and um, things were looking really good and then things weren't looking really good. Um, and everything just kind of fell apart. Um, you know, another like, there are millions of tragic Hollywood band stories. Yeah. Um, but, uh, after that, I was pretty like, okay, I can't rely on being in a band. Um, so that was kind of when I started to try and think of a way of, all right, well, how am I going to continue to do this, but not put myself in a position where someone else is uh, what they want out of all of this or bad behavior can completely ruin all of my personal efforts. Yeah. Um, so at that point, I started being like kind of a, a non-member member in about 30 bands over the next two years, <laughs> uh, where I was like playing all day, every day with, you know, a half a dozen bands every single week. Um, and one of those bands I was playing with was a band called Wool. And that was uh, uh, Pete and Franz, who were the Scream. Okay. Um, and Al Block was the bass player in Concrete Blonde. They had this band called Wool. Nice. And meanwhile, this band Failure, who I didn't know anything about, uh, I kind of remember seeing one of their show posters uh, hanging up um, at a local club once, but I'd never heard them. I didn't know anyone in the band. Um, they were looking for a drummer. And... Ken and, and Pete were passing drummer names back and forth. So while that was happening, Tom Morello also knew that they were looking for a drummer and he had given me a call and he had also given my number to their manager who was also Rage's early manager. So, you know, I'm doing this like sort of trying to figure it out and session player, gig player, is that for me? Um, and one afternoon in 93, I came home and there quite literally 
were like four or five messages on my answering machine. Uh, one from Ken asking me what was up. One from uh, uh, one of the guys at Slash saying, hey, what's up? There's this band. Uh, uh, one of the guys from Warren Nettner's office. And, and uh, uh, I believe there was also a message on there from Tom, like letting me know, because Tom was actually still living with one of the Liquid Jesus players. Oh, wow. That's how we sort of became friends. And I used to, uh, one of the guys in my band used to rent Tom movies at Music Plus. It's very <laughs> incestuous. Um, anyway, um, that's how I got introduced to failure, which is <gasps> literally one day it was like failure, 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 failure. Wow, um, Tom Morello, like who else? Like, do you need a better recommendation from somebody to like get into a band, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know if he necessarily recommended me. I think they had exhausted all of the drummers. So they asked Tom and he was like, oh, well, I know this guy. Um, but uh, uh, he certainly was not the reason I got the gig. I had to show up and play well. Oh, of course, you're a phenomenal um, player. But, well, I mean, I, I was still young at the time. I mean, I, I had a lot of natural talent, but I still, at that point, had a lot of holes in my game. Well, you have repaired those holes since then, Mr. Kelly Scott. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's the beauty of playing music is, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a constant quest. Like you're never, or at least in my case, um, I, I'm not one to rest on my laurels. You know, I'm always just looking for different ways to challenge myself. It also helps playing in a band with extremely talented people um, because they challenge me. I mean, to put it honestly, yeah. Like there are a couple things on the last record where it's like, all right, well, this is like the idea. And it's like, how the fuck am I going to play that? <laughs> like you programmed it. Like this isn't meant for a person to play. It. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's like you, you know, go out and learn it and put the hours in and figure out your shit. Yeah, make you know? it happen for sure. That's part of the responsibility of playing with two really talented people. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. put in the work. Hope you guys are taking notes at home. I got Tim Peterson here in the chat. And he goes, whoa, saw you guys at the Whiskey in like 1996. And I've been a fan ever since. We broke up after that show. Oh, my God. Yeah. Did you really? Yeah, that was one of our last shows. So was it like an epic falling out because you guys had like a shitty gig or? No, no, it, it wasn't as a direct, we, we, we knew that that would be one of the last shows. Okay. Um, things had been going in a not so good direction for a while. Um, personally within the band, um, you know, we had also just sort of, you know, uh, uh, individually, sort of, you know, gone out on our own bad behavior that was helping pull apart the band. Um, and also it was like, you know, we worked really hard and we kept making these records and we kept doing everything that was asked of us and it kept not working, you know? And even, even the last record, Fantastic Planet, like that, I mean, that record, you know, almost got shelved as soon as it was finished. Like our record label decided to call it quits, like right as we were finishing the record. Really? That's you know, so it like sad. sat on a shelf for like a year and a half. 
until you know another label was like oh we'll take that and put it out so you know personally there was definitely a lot of stress pulling us apart um and professionally like everything just you know it was like work 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 fall apart work 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 so you know your dreams are getting crushed and all of your hard work is going in the toilet and it gets really really just kind of frustrating you know so it was it was sort of just kind of a perfect storm yeah um and uh yeah but now you guys like reunited in 2015 right um actually 2013 um uh ken called me and i i honestly thought you know because we would speak from time to time and he produces and engineers a lot of records mixes a lot of records I thought he was calling me maybe to play on a record. Um, uh, he he had uh, um, called me and he left a message and I called him back thinking that and you know I was like, hey, how you doing? What have you been up to? What's going on? And you know he was like, well, I don't know if you've heard, but you know Greg and I uh, both have kids and we've really like over the last couple of years our kids are growing up together and we're hanging out a lot and you know recently Greg was kind of like you know you know it was the first time like in all these years we had hung out with our children that we were uh you know Greg just nonchalantly hey what do you think about you know maybe maybe not a failure thing but you know getting together and playing music and you know see what happens let's write some stuff and by that point, they had been writing some stuff for probably a couple months. Um, they they had, uh, I think, like three finished songs and maybe two that were sort of in different uh, uh, states of finished. Um, and Ken, you know, kind of told me all of this. Um, and, you know, in the middle of it, I was just like, oh, shit. You know, because in, in, in the years preceding, you know, it was kind of like that one like your first real love that, you know, none of your other girlfriends or bands, since we're talking about bands, your first love, like none of your bands in between ever lived up to. Like monkeys um, doing it. Yeah, but you know, and every time someone, oh, your band failure was so cool. I love that record and da da da. You know, it was always just kind of like a little dig in the side and year after year after year after year, it became less of a dig and you were, you know, more started to just sort of gain an appreciation for, um, you know, the music listener and what they've gotten out of your records all of these years, instead of, you know, solely thinking about yourself and what you lost. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just when you, you know, you think there's enough time in between, you think you've reconciled that. Here's Ken calling me on the phone with that, hey man, we're putting the band back together. And it was just this whole, like, everything came flooding back. And it was just this really, there was so many competing emotions. Like, I can't honestly tell you how I felt other than, like, really just sort of overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, but obviously, yeah. Um, th this is something, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if what you guys are doing is like really really cool like if this is something we should be doing um then yeah yeah 
Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, it was kind of crazy. And, you know, a couple of weeks later I get these songs and it's that same thing. I'm like, I couldn't even really hear the songs. You know, there was just so much going on inside of me. I couldn't tell whether they were good or, or bad or, you know, cause there's all this baggage and like, should we just leave it alone? Like we have a cool legacy and, you know, do we want to ruin this? And just a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it wasn't until, you know, probably I think maybe three months after he and I initially spoke on the phone, we found ourselves in the studio recording what be, would be the first half of um, our record that came out in 2015. Wow. Uh, the Heart of the Monster. That is so crazy. Just the whole story and like the emotions and everything. I feel this. I feel you. Yeah. And then, I mean, we did that reunion tour and that was like so many nights where you're just, just a flood of emotions. You know, you're back there trying to like lay it down. You're bawling at the same time. You're like, what the fuck's going on? Like, how did I get here? I mean, it was pretty incredible. And it wasn't like the old failure days where, you know, we didn't know where there would be like two people or 52 people. Yeah. Um, you know, this was like our audience that somehow grew to, you know, like a thousand people or more. Yeah. <laughs> um, through none of our doing, you know, all through the internet and all through like, you know, cassette tapes and then, you know, uh, all the file trading and, uh, it, I mean, it was insanity. It was total insanity. Well, it's almost like people don't know what they have until it's gone, right? Like the old cliche saying, but the same with like a band because then you become like a rarity and people want to know, well, they hear these cassette tapes or they hear these songs. They want to know what does the band sound like yeah. live, you yeah. know? That's so cool. Uh, we have a question from Joseph Scott Kramer. I believe is your last name. Thank you for asking questions. I love but people with three names. Right. Joseph Scott Kramer. Does music heal your soul, Kelly? Um, no. Oh, shit. Um, I have to do that. Um, I have to be the one to take care of myself. Although um, music does, it doesn't heal my soul, but it is a, um, it's a direct pipeline from your insides to the outside. Um, when you're in pain, you you can definitely put that into your playing. When you're angry, when you're sad, when you're just full of really good or bad emotion, you you can definitely like drop the bad emotional level inside of yourself. Yeah. Um, but I. I only know that because, you know, I, I had a big substance abuse problem and then, um, you know, I, I uh, got clean and through the years have, have come up with a better set of tools to take care of myself. So music doesn't have to be my dumping ground. Um, I can consciously articulate, you know, what's going on inside me through music. Um, does it heal me? No, but it, it did. I believe potentially saved my life, you know, in, in through the worst of my years, um, remaining a purpose, you know, something I could latch onto no matter how bad I got, like, you know, I would get a gig here or I'd get a gig there, or it always kind of swooped in to sort of, 
give me guidance and you know just keep me out of the really dark depths of where people in drug addiction die yeah Yeah. um but um you know it maybe to answer your question yeah maybe it does it well no it doesn't heal my soul It, it it allows me to like just keep the levels of things on my inside that are going to kill me yeah at, at a manageable quantity yeah um it gives me purpose that's for sure yeah. um and it it also gives me um it gives it gives me a purpose larger than just being It's a huge responsibility for me personally. I see it as a huge responsibility to play music um, because I mean, it it has to represent like who you are and sort of your emotional makeup and what you are as a person. Um, But at the same time, it also has to take into, I think, greater account that music isn't for me. Um, I, I get to create music for other people and just all of the stuff that it takes to be a person that, you know, as a creator and as a music listener, like we all collectively share. Um, it's, it's um, you know, music to me, is, I mean, it's just a, it's a huge responsibility. Um, one that I feel um more times than not, I think, you know, makes me a better person that I I can be, when I show up, you know, I can be very proud of myself and what I bring to my game. Yeah, I love that. I feel like music um, really makes me the best person that I can be if I do put my like, you know, my everything into it. Thank you, Joseph, for that question. I appreciate it. Sorry, that was huge. That was a long answer. That was huge, right? That was a great yeah. question. Um, so we're almost going on an hour. I do want to be respectful of everybody's time. Oh. We're going to start wrapping this up in a little bit. If you guys have any questions, drop them in the comments. I will get to them. Um, Kelly, tell me what... So I know that you got to tour with, like, Tool and Nine yeah. Inch Nails and Pussifer and um, Perfect circle um do you have like a favorite tour story that you could share with us um well we didn't actually tour with pussifer and perfect circle okay we we did uh uh two nights when we first got back together up at uh the greek theater oh where it was failure pussifer and perfect circle and we were all collectively playing together what like we were all always on stage um and playing with each other's songs like we would have each guest in different bands so it was like all of these moving parts uh it was a pretty incredible experience actually that is um like drum sets coming in and drum sets being pulled out like it was totally insane and when you weren't playing there was like kind of a um like a lounge area set up like literally there were lounge chairs set up um and Maynard's wine and people were like kind of milling about and sitting down and on stage watching the others perform until it was your time to get back on your instrument like it was it was this really crazy like uh 
it was like we were all one big band. Uh, it was pretty pretty unique. Um, the tool stuff we did we did do a lot of touring with just us and them. Um, we actually toured around the the uh, a lot of Europe and America on Magnified, and then a lot of America on Fantastic Planet as well as Lollapalooza. Um, never did any live shows with Nine Inch Nails. Okay. Um, you know, that's on a bucket list somewhere. I think that would be a really good pairing, us and Nine Inch Nails. Yeah. Um, but favorite, favorite tour experiences. Um, I mean, Lollapalooza was pretty fun. Um, I, I remember we wore, me and Hutch, our sound guy, do you know Hutch? I don't think so. Everybody kind of knows Hutch. He's like, he's like the, one of the most famous sound guys, like as famous as a musician. Okay. Um, incredibly amazing dude and super, super, super amazing sound guy. Um, but he and I did uh, all of Lollapalooza, which is in the summer, in uh, uh, Sarong. What? Like he, he got some fabric and started wearing sarongs. And I think like a day or two into it, I was like, whoa, like, what's that? What are you doing? Uh, he's like, it's a sarong, a sarong. Like, I've never heard of it. I want one. So he like gave me some uh, material for a sarong. So we wore sarongs for like the entire tour. Um, and I was on um, uh, acid a lot um, for that tour. Oh, snap. Uh, which was also pretty fun. Um, this, I mean, this is still in like the nineties and I was, you know, a little loopy. Um, but one of, one of uh, my most vivid experiences was actually from that tour. We were playing, uh, we were opening on the main stage and then they would take all of our gear on forklifts and pallets and move it over to the second stage where we would headline later on in the day. Wow. So we were opening on the main stage and it's like broad daylight and there's like, you know, maybe it seems like there's four or five people because it's so huge and everyone's still like kind of spread out. There's probably like a thousand, two thousand people, maybe. It just seems like there's no one because there's like, you know, a batch of people over here and because they're big sheds. Yeah. Um, so we're we're playing and you hear my voice just go up? That's funny. <laughs> Um, uh, we're playing and we're playing this one particular song that we would open up with another space song, which the, without getting into technical stuff, like the drum pattern is like this, like it never, it never ever stops doing this. It's just constant, you know, um, and I used to smoke and play like and cigarette? I wound up knocking the cherry off of my cigarette. And it landed because my legs were open. My pants legs were kind of had a little, they were drawn. Yeah. And it landed like right there. And it was slowly starting to burn through oh my, my genitalia. <laughs> um, and I literally had to pee to put it out. Stop while it. playing. While playing. Rockstar status. Yeah. Unlock. I love this story. My favorite story of all time. Yeah, that was probably like one of my funnier stories. I mean, there's a few of them, definitely. Um, but I guess since we were on Lollapalooza, I might as well stay in in 97. Oh yeah. my God, dude. That's epic. Yeah. 
Epic. Um, okay, Richard Liendo wants to know, what's your favorite failure song? Oh, um, I don't think I have one. Um, there, I mean, there's not a single failure song that I don't just love playing. Um, I, I think if, like, maybe let me, if, if you don't mind, I'll take a little liberty with your question and pose it towards myself. Like, if there were one song, if you could only play one failure song and that was it, like, what song would you choose? Um, I would... I would choose the song Heliotropic, um, which ends, um, it's uh, uh, one of the last songs, second to last song on Fantastic Planet. Um, but live, it's especially epic because it's the song that just like, it's really kind of slow and ominous and menacing and powerful during the verses. And then there's this outro that's about, I mean, it's the length of another song and a half but it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And just when you think it can't get any bigger, it really, really does. We usually end our sets with it um, because it's just the perfect song, the perfect note to just sort of end yeah. um, a set. Um, so in, in, in that light, it would be heliotropic. Okay. Um, but then, I mean, there are other songs like the before I mentioned uh, another space song, I think is like one of the just most beautifully hypnotic songs that we have, you know, and for my part, I mean, it doesn't do anything except play the same drum line all the way through yeah. for, you know, five minutes nonstop, which is extremely challenging to not fluctuate in time. Yeah. But it's also this like really sort of zen hypnotic like it's it's an incredibly beautiful song to play it seems uh, like it's almost meditational almost like with that drum yeah yeah and it, it's 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 not meditational in the sense of like peace because it requires a lot of concentration yeah like you really because it's a you know pretty slow song so the notes have a lot of space in between them you know, so you have to make sure to articulate every single note, which there are a lot of, perfectly every time around, or it's extremely noticeable. Yeah. Um, there's nothing to hide behind. Um, uh, but then there, I mean, there are a lot of other songs, like newer stuff that are pretty, like, um, physically challenging songs um, that I, I really love playing. Um you know, by the end of them, just your muscles are burning. And then there are other ones that are like physically challenging in the sense of the drum part itself. Like there's a lot of really fast syncopated notes that, you know, if any one of them is out, like it's the end of the whole ball game. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I think that's why I love playing every song because they're in a different way. They're all like, really kind of serious okay. in the sense that you know you can't take any one of them very lightly like they're all pretty challenging and you're constantly shifting like what kind of challenge it is to you um yeah so um, 
for sure. Sorry, another long answer. No, you're great. I love uh, I love long answers for sure. <clears throat> um, so what's next for failure? Are you guys like practicing right now on your off time, getting ready for tour, going to put out another album? Um, well, we are uh, last year, um, kind of, when was that? Probably in like August, I think it was. Um, we all kind of took time off and locked ourselves away for three weeks um, out at Third Encore Rehearsal Studio. And we brought in our uh, uh, recording studio and set everything up and mic'd everything live. And we basically just jammed and came up with ideas. We came up with about 30 hours of music um, oh in the three weeks that we were there. And then over the course of the next couple months, um, uh, Ken went through most of that and whittled it down to about three hours. Um, and then he started making like, uh, um, uh, you know, sending us Dropbox links of what was up there. Yeah. And then individually we would go through and like kind of write down time codes of where there were parts that like we really dug. Um, and we kind of uh, looked at some of those notes as sort of a starting point. Um, and Ken and Greg have actually started to um, work on those songs and, and demo them out, like kind of come up with uh, uh, loose to maybe finished arrangements. Um, you never know until we actually start like physically putting drums and stuff on them. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, the way we had done it previously, like on the last record, we would come up with a batch of four or five songs and then we would go to the studio and record drums for those. Okay. Um, and then they would get tweaked out and some more overdubs and then mixed. And the last record we released in uh, four parts, uh, one EP with one section of the artwork and one section of the title of the record. Wow. And then EP two would be the second section of the title and the second section of the artwork. Same with the third section. And then the fourth release was the entire double record with basically what the artwork makes and obviously what the music makes. Um, so we kind of approach every record a little bit differently. Um, so, I mean, that, that still remains to be seen how everything is ultimately gonna get flushed out. But yes, we are working on a new failure record. Wow, so excited. And uh, do you have merch or how can we support you besides- um, Yeah, yeah, we, we have uh, uh, failure.com, uh, uh, hello, what is it? Failure.hellomerch.com. Okay. Um, and I actually, we got a bunch of new stuff in there that we designed like specifically uh, good for the pandemic. We came up with some really cool bottles for people who are like doing hiking to stay away from people. Uh, we came up with a cool like Fantastic Planet record cover puzzle for people that aren't going anywhere. Uh, we also came up with like a cool little journal or just like a cool little sort of custom failureized small crimes uh, book and pen. Write down ideas or song ideas or, you know, laundry lists of things that you have to do, whatever. Um, but yeah, we put a bunch of new merch up. Uh, we we uh, started reprinting probably some of our more popular older t-shirts. Um, 
and then of course you know as the record starts flushing out and we get artwork and stuff like that we'll start coming up with some more new merch items for the new cycle of uh, our next release and tour. Oh, yeah. that's awesome and then don't you have a line of like butt cancer merchandise that you um, yeah well i i did that um uh, i think most people know that i like right when the pandemic started i was diagnosed with colon cancer um, I, I go to the doctor a lot. Like I'm very serious about my health. Um, I take, try and take really good care of myself, uh, with my eating and exercise and sleep. Um, but, uh, I, um, because I'm at risk, I have cancer, bowel and colon cancer in my family. Um, it was something I was definitely particularly aware of. Um, so I requested that they send me a screening kit. Uh, for my last physical, which would have been the end of 2019. And they sent it to me and it came back with an anomaly. Um, so I then went in and had a colonoscopy and sure enough, they found one uh, uh, cancerous polyp. Um, so with colon cancer, lots of people get polyps, like that's kind of normal. Um, that doesn't mean anything. Not all polyps become cancerous. Sure. And it takes quite a few years to grow a polyp. Um, and it takes quite a few more years for a polyp to become cancerous. Okay. So I found this one in the really, really early stages, um, but it had probably already been there and growing for eight years. Wow. Um, so when they went in, they saw it, they're like, yeah, you have one. And I had to do you know, a bunch of tests and uh, CT scans and make sure it hadn't spread anywhere. Um, and then the pandemic hit and they were like, well, we can take it out because I really wanted it out of me. Um, I had never had surgery before. So, you know, I was a little petrified of going under the knife. I didn't know what to expect. Sure. Um, but uh, I, I kept my fears like pretty right sized. I just kept in like, OK, I'm going to do something about this and we'll worry about all the other steps as we get to those steps. Uh, I didn't freak myself out. Um, and, uh, uh, at first she was like, yeah, we can, I'll see you. Like, I, I love it when, you know, people are proactive and they want to, you know, deal with this right now. Um, but I've got to tell you, because like all of us have been working on COVID patients, your mortality rate right now is about 95%. I was like, what? Like colon cancer, believe it or not, is one of the most survivable cancers because it's so slow growing. Yeah. Um, the, the problem is people should be getting screened way, way earlier. And the problem is that costs money and insurance companies don't want to dish out that kind of money for something that's most likely going to show up to not be there. That's it's true. expensive. I mean, it's the same thing with breast cancer. Yeah. Like those screenings, you know, they can tend to be uh, pretty expensive for insurance companies to pay for. So they inflate the age at which you should be going to do these things. Uh, when in fact, everyone should be doing them, especially if you have a history of cancer in your family at the youngest age possible. Yeah. Um, but because I was proactive, like I said, we caught it really early and it hadn't spread after all the results came back. Um, I said no to the first time because I wasn't gonna die of COVID after all this. Yeah. Um, and then my surgeon reached out to me about three weeks later 
Um, and uh, uh, they had all been tested. At the time, they weren't tested because they just didn't want to know. They needed all hands on deck to take care of all the people who were coming to the hospital sick. Um, so wow. then they, they you know, quarantined all the COVID people and all the people working on COVID people over to this side of Kaiser, um, who are amazing. I can't say enough amazing things about uh, my healthcare providers. Um, but uh, she got me in, like I, I was diagnosed on uh, May 17th, which for an Irishman, I didn't even realize that that was St. Patrick's Day until this year. Oh my gosh. You know, it's like, well, St. Patrick's Day obviously took a back seat to yeah. being told that you have cancer. Yeah. Um, but uh, um, I was under the knife by the beginning of May. Wow. Yeah. And they uh, they went in, they made like, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six small incisions and a three inch C-section. So with the small ones, they put in like cameras and tubes that blew gas to expand the stomach and uh, robots and, you know, all this fancy equipment. They basically took out about five and a half inches. And that's what the C-section was for, to take out that big portion of colon. Wow. Uh, and then they just sewed it back together. It was good and, as new. All done. And so no, are you still getting treatment or? Nope. That was it. No more that's cancer. I'm cancer free. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and that, I mean, that's not to say, you know, I still have to do my follow-ups, um, you know, because I have had this type of cancer, you know, I, I do follow-ups for that specific thing twice a year. Um, and, you know, again, I mean, I eat all plant-based food. Um, I exercise like nobody's business, um, you know, and it, it's also, you know, my thinking and my emotional state is like, you know, between 90 and 95 um, most of the time. And when it's not, you know, I, I go back to the well and I deal with it. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I think your thinking and your emotional makeup will make you as sick as any of the external things um, that will obviously make you sick. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is a good point to make. Um, it's very important to have like a healthy mindset and a yeah. Yeah. And even with this, I mean, attitude, gratitude, man, like having cancer, like it, I've just upped my game, you know, it, it didn't hurt me. It helped me. You know, okay. I evolved a little bit more. I take better care of myself. I certainly have an even larger appreciation for everything that is given to me from day to day. Yeah. You know, all of my, my life, like all of this stuff, everyone's it's a loner you know, it can be all taken away tomorrow. And, you know, I get to have all of this stuff today. Yeah. Uh, um, so, you know, there's, there's always a lot to be thankful for, you yeah. know, and I remember not having drapes and a bed and drums and podcasts and, you know, and it's still kind of, you know, being positive is like the best medicine there is. I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, Joseph Scott um, actually says, I want to surround myself with intelligent people like you, Kelly Scott. Well said, Joseph. I concur with you on that. Yeah. 
you've said so many amazing things. Normally I ask people to give me their best piece of advice, but I feel like you've given us like handfuls of advice throughout this whole um, interview. You know, I, I just love your life. You know, love your life. If there, if there are things that don't make you happy, then change them. That's part of loving your life. Doing difficult things is part of loving your life. Yeah. You know, sometimes yeah. you have to be able to say no in order to say, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> um, wow. So we're going on about an hour and a half, you guys. And we've had such a great time this entire time. I appreciate all you guys in the chat, everybody listening at home. I appreciate you, Kelly Scott, so much. I know that your time is precious and I appreciate you sharing that with us tonight. Oh, for sure. Thank you. I absolutely love being here. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else right now. Thank you. Um, all right, you guys, we're going to get this wrapped up. I love all of you. Uh, make sure that if you tuned in late to back up and listen to the whole episode, there's a lot of great content. Um, you guys follow Kelly Scott, follow Failure. Um, lots of epic stuff are, is going to be coming out this next year or so. Um, and on that note, until next time, you guys keep smiling, be kind, stay safe, and keep rocking and rolling. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kelly. I hope to stay in touch with you and sure. I'll be following you on your journey the next year or so. Awesome. Thank you again. And see you guys. Bye. Bye.